This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So uh, I find myself in a pub, uh, the Atlas pub actually, which is a fine establishment and one that uh, Chelsea supporters know very well, the Chelsea Supporters Trust knows very well, and I find myself in a pub uh, on a Saturday afternoon, actually in real time, slightly after the final whistle would have gone, so there's no surprise there. Uh, The only surprise really is that I've not been at a Chelsea game, but I'm delighted that I'm going to spend the next hour or two talking Chelsea to some fantastic uh, friends of mine. They are Mr. Neil Smith. Hello. And Mr. Mark Mead. Good afternoon, Chidge. And these uh, two fine gentlemen are two of the brains behind a fantastic book which is uh, hitting the shelves in a couple of weeks uh, called Eddie Mac, Eddie Mac. Uh, no surprise, therefore, what it's going to be about. It's about uh, Eddie McCready, but we'll talk to, talk to them more about that in a second. But first of all, I'm going to ask them some personal questions. Neil's already looking worried. Uh, but Neil, I mean, I've known you for a while, um, and, and I know the answer to this, but the listeners won't. When did you first start supporting Chelsea? 1966. 1966? Yeah, I went to my first game on the 9th of April, 1966, which was Easter Saturday, and we trounced West Ham. 6 2. 6 2? That's right. And it was my first ever, my first ever visit to Stamford Bridge. And, uh, and it's just over 50, that's 51 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I mean, I, that's a year after I was born. Right. So, you know, I, I, not only do I feel inferior, I feel thoroughly intimidated now. <laughs> but that's fantastic. So you've been a sport for 50 years. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I, something I was topping up this week, believe it or not, I keep all records of every game I went to, like the sad people we are. Cool. Um, you know, and um, I actually topped it up where I was this week. And can you believe it that if you count three playoff games at the end of 1987... 88 as first class games and six charity oblique community shield games the last home game against Southampton was my 2000 
So there we go. So we've got some uh, some amazing experience around the table. We've also got Mark, as I said. Now, Mark, same question to you. I mean, I, I put you as a slightly younger younger than uh, Neil, but I could be being rude there. Uh, no, not at all. Um, 24th of April 1970, fourth round of the FA Cup. We played Burnley at home, and that's the reason why I'm a Chelsea supporter. My father, when he was alive... And if you think in the 1970s, a lot of people had more than one job. Uh, so someone he worked with, second job, he bound the Chelsea programmes in Queen's Park. So one Saturday, he brought home the programme for the Chelsea-Burnley game. Coincidentally, that game was on match of the day that night. So from that moment onwards, Chelsea were my team. Of course, we won the FA Cup that year, so a good start as a Chelsea fan. So my first game was the following season... We played Coventry City at home, obviously went there to see my idol then, Peter Osgood, who sadly was injured. So the centre forward that day was a gentleman called Peter Feely, who was up front with Derek Smethurst, and Feely and Smethurst got the goals in a 2-1 victory. Feely and Smethurst, they sound like a firm of lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Smethurst and Feely, maybe, would be better. I mean, that's astonishing. I mean, I, I mean, I know we're going to talk about Eddie Mack and, and just go absolutely nuts about talking about Eddie Mack and that side, uh, particularly the side from 76-77, which won promotion from the old Division 2. Uh, I mean, there are loads of people. I know the listeners know when I first started Sport Chelsea, and it's, it's quite a quirk of fate, actually, that when I, mean, I was only 11-12 at the time, and I went to Stamford Bridge in 76 because I went to the FA Cup semi-final between Southampton and Palace because I grew up in Hampshire and my dad thought it would be a treat mind you he was a Portsmouth fan so I suppose not taking me there would have been a treat Um, so he took me to the semi-final of the cup and of course it was at Stamford Bridge and I I stood in the shed and I I just was absolutely I fell in love with the stadium there and then so I went home and all I wanted to know about was Chelsea after that and of course so I actually first started kind of supporting them albeit vicariously on a horrible little TV in the living room on the big match for you know that first season, the season we're going to talk about, while you were all there. So that's how lucky you boys are. But there you go. Um, I mean, so you would have been what? You'd have been kind of like 20... Oh, yeah, in the, in the 76, yeah. 77 season, I was 21 in, 21. 19, in 1977, I became 21. Right. So in 76, I was 20. So and Mark would have been... I would have 14. 14. Yeah. So that's kind of really interesting contrast in ages, yes. actually. Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, before we get into... Because we're going we're gonna to spend... I should tell the listener, all the listeners, really, we're going to have a little bit of uh, time talking about the book itself. Uh, and then we're going to absolutely go silly, loopy, indulgent talking about not just the 76-77 season but a, a little bit before because I think it, it deserves a bit of context uh, and then we're going to talk about this fantastic launch event that's coming up on uh, May the 20, 20th. 20th isn't it, yeah which is going to be under the bridge um, but first things first uh, and I'm sure the answer is probably quite quite obvious really but why choose Eddie Mack as the subject for a bookmark and I, sh- I should also say that if you follow Twitter Mark is easy to find, because your Twitter handle is Mark? Uh, Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army. Exactly. There we go. The clue is always in the question, isn't it? Why um, a book about Eddie McCready? I think we'd call it um, The Greatest Chelsea Story Never Told. I think if you look down you know, over the years, most of the eras of Chelsea have been covered in the printed word. So you've had the Sexton era, you've had the Viali era, you've had the Hullet era, 
the Abramovich and Mourinho era, and obviously our co-author Mark Worrell has published a lot of books yeah. around some of those subjects. And I think how the book came about um, was, I think it coincided with when Mark Kelvin and Dave Johnson published um, their last book, which, which was Making History, Not Reliving History. And I was speaking to Dave and saying, the one book that's never been written is about Eddie McCready. And Dave Johnson said, well, funny that, we plan to do our next book on that exact subject. So um, the three gentlemen question already had that in mind, so I came on board very quickly. And I think that was three years ago. So it's taken us three years to come to the finished article. And this is your first book. Is, is it your first book, yes, Smithy? Yes, it is as well, yeah. yeah mm. The first one I've been involved with. Because David, David told me about the project and said all of my anecdotes ought to get in there somewhere because I do a bit here and there for the fanzine and indeed I used to do a bit for Bridge News, the forerunner, the forerunner of the paper, newspaper before the Chelsea magazine. But did you write for Chelsea Independent? I did as well. I thought yeah, you yeah, might I had done, bits yeah. in there, bits and pieces in there about old games. So they, David said, "Come on, you know, do do something for us." So I, you know, I thank him for that, and uh, glad that I got involved at the end, as it were. Yeah, and that means, but it was Dave's idea and, and Mark and Kelvin. Uh, it's it's a combination of both because um, it's actually my third book. I've got I've got I've got previous history, uh, and you've got history. I've got There's pre- something for Chelsea. Yeah, um, but it's it's the one book you know that for many years now you know I've, I've had that and some of the stuff I had for the book is going back many years. Yeah. I tried to do it years ago, couldn't get a publisher. So again, I was just delighted that David, you know, Mark and Kelvin just thought along along similar lines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, took, I mean, a lot of the listeners know about Mark and, and, and the books that he's published, and, and Mark does a huge uh, service, I think, to Chelsea supporters by allowing many of us to get our books published when they otherwise might not have, not have been. Um, I mean, in, in some senses, a very narrow and truncated period of Chelsea's history, but I suspect that this took quite a while to write. This is not the kind of book you can write in, in, in six months, is it? No, I, you know, it, it's taken, as I said, well, even more than three years you know, from sort of the idea first you know, came into conception. And you've seen the end product, it's 460 pages long. So, you know, that's a result of three years' hard labour by the, by the five of us. I mean, I have, to, I have to confirm, as I no doubt all of you will when you buy this fine book, this is a proper book. It's thick and replete with pages and lots of words therein. And that's what I also love about the way that Mark does this, is that, you know, I mean, Kelvin's the, the, the barometer of this, but, I mean... The celery book, something like 950 pages long. I mean, a lot of publishers say, can you yeah. just kind of edit that down to like 400? Yeah. So we're, we're very lucky, I think, yeah. in the fact that he allows us to do that. Um, and I think, it's, to be fair to Mark as well, I think he's had many a sleepless night trying to pull this together just to make sure it's ready for the 20th of May. So he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, great stuff. So, so guys, um, you know... It would be quite easy to assume what the content of the narrative is, but having having not read the book yet, um, Mark, t- uh, sorry, Smithy, t- tell us what you think. You know, what's the content and the narrative of it? Where does it start? Well, it starts with you know Eddie becoming the manager with only a couple of games left in the horrible season of 1974-75, when um, relegation was staring us in the face and. Uh, Eddie came in with sort of three games left. Um, the club were, even then, on the verge of bankruptcy. 
um, every every game. You, did, you know, you heard more stories about the escalating debt up to three million pounds, and you know what was going to happen. And then, lo and behold, we we were sadly relegated in those last three games. And then Eddie had one season to sort of get to know the get to know his players and blood with the youngsters. And um, we had a season which you know had some good bits and good bits and pieces in it in 75, 76 and then lo and behold the big one going back yeah. in 76, 77 you know 40 years ago getting promotion and uh, it, you know it meant so much to the supporters and the club that you know that, you know, it, it was it was what you would call or bust you know shit or bust yes like indeed yes. Yeah, you know and uh, luckily you know he got us through and uh, I think you know, being of that age, being twenty twenty one at that time, uh, I was much the same age as you know as Ray yeah. Wilkins yeah. and a lot of players. And I, and I actually, you know, did actually know. But you would have been older than Ray actually then. Well, only a little bit. Yeah. But, but um, a lot of the people around where I lived, because I lived in Buckinghamshire and Hillingdon, where Butch was from, was only down the road. Yeah. And a lot of my mates had played against him, yeah. been, been at school with him, and whatever. And, you know, it was all like we were all pulling together, you know, we were all singing from the same song sheet and, you know, it was, it was you know, it was almost life or death, you know. There couldn't be any half measures. We had to, we had to get back into the first division to just stay alive. Because I think, I mean, we, we will talk about this in, in, in massive detail, but just to kind of set the scene a bit, we got relegated in 75 uh, and then Eddie got the job, as you said, and then he basically had that first season managing the team 76, 70, hang on, I'll get my dates right here. Yeah, 75, 76 was the one, the first one down 76, in the second yeah, division. That's right, 70, which they finished mid-table, and then the yeah. 76, 77 yeah. was, the, was the, the, the season that everybody kind of eulogises about that, these that's days. That's right. And we'll, we'll, we will get onto that in, in a minute, but uh, um, were you not tempted, Mark, to start a little bit earlier? Because Eddie, Eddie had been a fantastic player for us, hadn't he, since the early 60s. Well, strangely, we've ended up going back, um, but that's through Eddie rather than our doing. Because, as, as Neil said, yeah, we we've, we've started the book literally from when you know Eddie finishes his playing career, he has his testimonial against Manchester United, and then becomes a manager, and we follow it through to his last day as manager. But in trying to sort of put the book together, we thought the book would not work without something from Eddie McCready in the book. So. His contribution to the book, he goes back to the very beginning of his career and he tells his own story in the book about his playing days in Scotland, coming down to Chelsea and all the way through to where he is in the present day. So, I mean, so basically Eddie's in there. You've done a massive interview with Eddie then? Yes, we have. And I think when we tried to track Eddie down, it was almost like a journey in itself. Um, How it started was... At the same time we were planning for the book, there was a journalist called, I think, Alan Petullo, who writes for The Scotsman, and he did an interview with Eddie in February 2014, and I think I remember reading it on, online, going up to, I think, an Aston Villa away game. Um, and then shortly afterwards, Neil Barnett at Chelsea did the interview where he went over to America. So we sort of obviously spoke to Neil, There was also um, a local newspaper over in Tennessee that did a similar article. So I had contact with that journalist and said, look, we're trying to track Eddie down. We know he's a very bright man. Can you help us? So the journalist, I think her name was Becky, that wrote, 
like the Boone Creek Times or something in you know, Tennessee. Uh, and she said a good starting point was Eddie's wife Linda runs a quilt firm in Tennessee. So I looked it up online. There was a firm called Tennessee Quilts. I emailed Linda saying, you don't know me, but we're doing this book about your husband. Is there any chance that we could do an interview? And I did a number of emails, got no reply back. We spoke to Neil again, and then out of the blue, Neil rang me one day, and he said, look, I've spoken to Eddie. The interview is on. Um, He doesn't want to do it over the phone. What he would like you to do is if you could email him the questions. So sent an email, 20 questions in there. He came back and said, giving it a bit of thought, I might take a while, and we said, take as long as you like. Just delighted to have you part of the book. Um, and then lo and behold, several months later, he sent through his response and it ran to 80 pages. Wow. And it was a wow factor. That is wow, isn't it? That is wow. That was, I don't think any were expecting that. We sent 20 questions we thought might get a couple of pages back. And he is, in fact, written his life story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not what you expected at all. Not what I expected. And I think you know, a good example would be I emailed all the guys straight away and said, you have to read this. And probably about two hours later, Mark Worrells emailed me back and said he was so engrossed in the book, he missed his train stop home by six stops. <laughs> yeah, it's that, it, when you read it, you, I read it in one afternoon on holiday, because I was on holiday at the time and Eddie emailed it through to me, and you read it in one sitting, you cannot put it down. You get completely engrossed in his life story. Wow, I mean, so, so in, a, in a sense... I, I don't know, it sounds as though it might have been a bit cathartic for Eddie, because, uh, I mean, most people who know Chelsea know that he's a hard man to track down, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like talking to, you know, the press or the media, he doesn't come over to England, really, I don't, I don't know the last time he was over, but it was a long time ago, so in a sense, I get the feeling from that, that it was quite a cathartic experience for him, and in a, in a sense you kind of enabled him to kind of do his own autobiography, I mean, is, is that kind of a... The sense of that you get, uh, Smithy? Yeah, it is, it is very much so. You know, when I, when I read it, I was blown away, like Mark said. I, I, could, I just couldn't believe it. You know, there were things that I did know and didn't know. But um, generally, you know, to, to give... He, he spoke from the heart. He spoke from the heart. And one of the things you'll get from the book is that he, he um, he's not self-opinionated. He always, as, and we'll come to it, as and when we won promotion, he just wanted the players to, right. to, to have all the plaudits, all the accolades. And I think he was touched that somebody wanted to go out of their way and actually after 40 years later say to him, uh, can you give us something? Well, he, he, you know, as it was, I think... as Time he was right in the well, sense. As he knew we weren't journos yeah. and we weren't from the club exactly, we're just, you know, everyday supporters, some of us, anyway. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think yeah. I think I think that's why he ga- he gave it his heart and soul, yeah. and, and you know, and, and that's, that's that's where that's, it is. That's that's. I mean, it's that's interesting you say that. I mean, you know, I, I mean, really between the lines, does he does he still have an issue with the club? And you can choose how you want to answer this, Mark, because of course the, the famous story that everybody knows about, well, the almost incredulous story that I grew up with. Uh, which is that, you know, for the love of a car, we lost potentially one of the greatest managers we could have had at the time. Because, you know, they, they didn't offer the car, so he didn't, didn't sign the deal. Didn't, no, you don't, because this might be a bit of a reveal of the book, and I get that. So you don't have to answer it. But is there still a bit of conflict with the club there, do you think? No. Um, and I think your, your previous line about cathartic is absolutely the right way to describe it. He covers that in detail in Does the book. He? And I think... 
um, bringing it out, and I don't think we're giving anything away. If you've read some of the articles and seen the Neil Barnett interview, Eddie's faith is very important to him now. Yeah. yeah. He's a very peaceful man, he's a very religious man, so whatever the issues were years ago, they no longer exist now. He's been through that process, you know, he's done probably his own self-analysis, and he does, without revealing too much, you'll, you'll need to, to read and buy the book to see it, you know, he does say in the book, you know, all those myths, you know, they aren't what people thought they were. It wasn't about the car, you know, whatever people thought. He didn't actually it was about ask... stereo in the car. <laughs> he, he, he didn't actually ask for anything. Although <laughs> really? there is a bit in there where he does say when he comes back later, and I think he's talking to Chelsea about taking the late David Stride on loan, and he looked out into the car park and there's a nice brand new car in there and he says to club secretary Christine Matthews oh whose car is that and I think she says oh that's Ken Shellotto's car <laughs> and then there was a moment there where he's thinking well they didn't get me but no to be fair to him when you read the book you'll see he makes it absolutely clear and the journey he's been on over the last 40 years at times it's been a difficult journey for him but it, it was never about the car. One of, one of the only things I, th- I think to add in there, as you know, Mark, is that um, it's quite easy for people just to, like, we, Mark interviewed nearly all the players of, of the squad, which you'll, you'll, you'll see in the book, and um, one of the things is that Eddie doesn't want to refer to him as ever being sacked. He wasn't sacked, and it's quite easy for people now, 40 years later, just in their general verbatim to say oh he was sacked wasn't he but he, he wasn't sacked he resigned over a matter of principle and, and uh, that's as it was a bit like Mourinho many years later maybe yes, yes yes some similar it, it, interesting you mentioned sort of Joseph Mourinho because in our diary with Eddie because we started with email me the questions and over the last year the relationship has grown and there's a dialogue and yeah emails are going back and forth and he does mention Mourinho does he? And he actually got invited by Chelsea and Mourinho when they were on an American tour a few years ago yeah. to come over, and he declined. Did he? Yeah, he said, you know, thank you very much, but you know, it's not about me, it's about you guys. He's, he's a very modest man. Wow. Yeah, he is. And he's a very deep man as well, and just having sort of, like, never even met him, but having that relationship through email, he does reveal a lot, you know, in his, his correspondence. Yeah. Mm, interesting stuff. I mean, you mentioned uh, a minute ago you, you've interviewed some players as well. I, I, I'll be really honest with you, you know, and, and, I know, and I know having, you know, done what I've done for many years, it's really quite hard to get uh, players to agree to interviews, but I do believe that these books are enriched by interviews with them. And I, and I don't mean that they should just be like, you know... Okay, we'll have 20 pages of that interview, and then on to the next one. It needs to be interspersed with our narrative as supporters. But there's something about the interviews with the players that does enrich it. So, I mean, have you got? Have you got? I mean, how many of them did you get, Smithy? Did you get most of the squad, or I think it was about was it 14 or 14, 14, 20, 20 or 20? So, yeah. Yeah. can you list them? This is not a test, by the way. Whether I cheat and look in the book or I try and do it from memory, a bit like Eddie, you're absolutely right. What we said is it doesn't really work without the players yeah. in there as well. And I think similar in Kelvin and Mark and Dave's book when they did the Arsenal game in 84, yeah, yeah. when they did, they did the player injuries for that. So again, I was tasked, that was my role, to track these players down. Wow. So it involved a phenomenal amount of detective work. It's not, e- it's not as easy as some people might think. I mean, this is like 40, 40 years ago. It's not. And I'll, I'll, I'll give a good example. And the internet is an absolutely marvellous thing. And clearly John Sparrow was part of that playing squad. 
and I was searching on the internet and you have those sites for saying where are they now yeah. and it was listed that John Sparrow was a postman or shopkeeper in Plymouth so I managed to sort of track, track this John Sparrow down to this shop in the high street in Plymouth and I rang him up and I said um, you don't know me um, is that John Sparrow he goes yes I'd very much like to do an interview with you. And he said, if you think I'm the John Sparrow that played for Chelsea, I'm really sorry to say, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So again, the internet gets it wrong sometimes. We we tracked down 20 of the players. The only players we didn't succeed in having an interview with was Bill Garner, with the best intention to try to contact Bill and had no success. Ian Hutchinson, who sadly passed away. Uh, Peter Benetti, who again sadly is in not, not good health, moment, yeah. we did try. You know, had conversations with his his carer. It just didn't it didn't work out. Um, and then Brian Batten. So we couldn't track Brian Batten down. But I'm pleased to say we spoke to him this week, and he's coming along to the event on May the twentieth. But the other twenty members of the squad who played for Eddie over those two seasons, we've done an, e- an interview with each and every one of them. And, I mean, have they all been really good interviews? I mean. I mean, it sounds like Eddie's clearly been the keynote interview in the book for obvious reasons, but it seems to have been quite special and far greater than you expected. But out of the other interviews of the players, who, who comes across really well? Uh, I think they all do in their own way. Um, and ha- having done, I think, the great majority of the interviews, I think each one is unique in itself. The only common theme is their absolute love for that manager. It wow. really comes out strong from each and every player. There's something unique about Eddie McCready which makes the book even all that more special because in a football dressing room, you know, players don't always get on with managers and cliques develop. This it was a very tight, bonded dressing room who was 100% behind their manager. And even to this day, they hold him in really high regard. And as Neil was saying, the reverse side, he holds them in equally high regard. He's done a, a, a sort of like... Sort of an introduction for the programme for um, the launch night and he says in there managers don't win things players win things and these guys did it for me you know, he has so much love for play and vice versa they, they all had their own you know, lots of interesting facts in there some of them we had to sort of go a long way to find them Gary Locks in New Zealand David Hayes in Glasgow John Phillips you know, sadly yeah, passed away recently. Week, recently. Yeah. He was in Florida, yeah. so they are scattered in other parts of the world. Brian Basson, he's in France. Amazing. Well, well done for tracking them down. And, I, and as I said, I think for me that that's what absolutely enriches books like these when you when you've got uh, you know all these contributions from the players that were actually there doing it on the pitch. And uh, that is what we're going to turn to right now when we've got another beer in. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, 
and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm sitting in the Atlas pub, as we know, and I'm sitting with two fine gentlemen, uh, Mr. Mark Meehan and uh, Mr. Neil Smith. Now, Smithy, of course, I've known for a long time because uh, he used to knock around uh, with uh, a man uh, fondly remembered on our show, which is Mr. Phil Norman. And, of course, his two sons were a stalwart to the podcast for many years. And I, and I used to try and get uh, Smithy on the podcast for years and years and years. Finally, I've done it, and it was only... The fact that I'd offered him some beer to got him to come along, but there you go. Um, this is the bit really where I, I think we, you know, really need to kind of take ourselves back to 1975, 76, 77, and, and really talk about what happened. And of course, I'm sure a lot of this uh, features in the book. But um, now, I mean, you know, it may be uh, bizarre for supporters that may have only been supporting us for a little while to actually even know that uh, in 1975 we got relegated. They'll probably uh, be even sadder to learn that we got relegated uh, by being one point uh, behind Tottenham Hotspur, would you believe, who avoided it. I mean, they, they finished a couple of places above us, but there was only one point difference, wasn't there? Um, and that, that was 1975. And... Um, Bizarrely, I remember I remember it very, very well. Like my best mate was a Chelsea supporter, and his first match, was t- he, he was taken uh, with a, for, for another friend of mine's birthday, who was a Tottenham supporter, as 11, 12-year-olds, to White Hart Lane in 1975, <laughs> uh, matches which has since been labelled the Battle of White Hart Lane. And if anybody wants to Google it, you'll find lots of black and white photographs with very long-haired... Chelsea and Tottenham supporters with kind of basically rollers-esque yeah. scarves around their wrists, massive flares and high-heeled shoes, kicking seven bells of shit out of each other. Mm. And these, this is the game that my two 11-year-old mates uh, went to, and that was their induction into football, and uh, for one Chelsea, the other one for Spurs. But we got, we got relegated that season, and the club was in a right old mess. It was riddled with debt thanks to the East Stand being built. And, and really, it was the beginning of the end for the great team of the late 60s, early 70s, wasn't it, Smithy? That's right, it was indeed. Um, you know, I, I remember 
like it was yesterday going to that game in 1975. Uh, we went down to uh, Victoria. I came in from Uxbridge on the tube and I was meeting up with friends from Kent, from Orpington, and we were going to go mob-handed up there. But their train was delayed. So um, we, it was getting... We, we knew it was going to be a lockout that day. And... Um, we, we left without them because their train up from Orpington into Victoria was delayed and we thought, look, we might not even get into the game. So we, we, we trundled on down there and then we walked from Seven Sisters down the Seven Sisters Road and talk about there being, there, there being an edge. It's, you know, the atmosphere, you could cut it with a knife. And we, we got there and it was just mayhem that you wanted to get into the game. And we went round and we ended up on the, sh- the shelf side at Tottenham, which is on the, on the side, where you can view both ends. You could view the Park Lane and the Paxton ends. And in those days, Tottenham's end was, to start with, it was the Park Lane. And then they used to, a bit like Chelsea with the shed and the north stand, they used to sort of chop and change a little bit, depending on what the event, you know, what, what the, the game was all about. And on that day, of course you could move around. You could move around. You could go anywhere from that shelf. That's why we we parked ourselves there to get a good view of the game. And then, lo and behold, I think at the at the Park Lane, at the Park Lane, a shout went up Chelsea, and at the Paxton end, a shout went up Tottenham. And they realised that they were sort of they they both got into the the other end. And then mayhem that everybody just went onto the pitch to sort of to sort of you know get to whatever end they wanted to. and it kicked off. But I'm, I've got to admit that they, you know, reports were that up to ten thousand people were locked out in the, in the streets. It was a capacity crowd of fifty odd thousand. Fifty six thousand was there. there. I, and, I, read, and I read this the other day. Yeah, and the reports 000. have always said that you know ten thousand were probably locked yeah. out. And I think most of those, a lot of them, from what I understand, were Chelsea fans who had left it a bit too late to decide where we're about to go. But like you say. Um, you know, it, it took ages to get the pitch cleared um, and get the game on. You know, and it was uh, tr- even to this day. I think it's one of my, my. You know, it still sticks in the crawl to this <laughs> well, yeah. re- to this very day. Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, they. You know, effectively, they sent us down. I mean, in, in a funny sort of sense, I've always looked at that match, Mark, a bit like the. Uh, the City United match of the year before, ironically enough, Dennis where Law. where Dennis Law sent United down. The reality is he didn't, and the reality is they didn't. Tottenham really didn't send us down with that match. No, but let's stick it on them anyway. Well, that's right. Well, Why I mean, not? Let's I mean, blame them. Well, anyway. what, what, what we've got to remember, Chidges, there was only two points for a win in those days, and, and, and one and one point, and we had two home games after. That's right. And we still felt we could get out of it. Yeah. You know, we had Sheffield United at home and Everton at home. Not bad sides. Everton were pretty good. Sheffield United were well, not, not bad. We still felt that we could win one and draw one, and that would be enough. And I still recall, though, that after we'd drawn both of those games... Tottenham had a home game with Leeds United and Leeds United in those days were one of the best sides exactly and I think they put a weakened side out and lost the game 4-2 they would have been going to the uh, European Cup final wouldn't they that's right that year blimey goodness me so yeah so they weren't they were not good times uh, for Chelsea at all I mean you know getting relegated the break up of the old uh, Kings of the Kings Road mark and we find ourselves in the second division but Eddie actually got hand of the job uh Slightly before that, he, 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 he was in charge for a few games at the end of that relegation season, wasn't he? Uh, we'd lost to Man City at home, um, and there's a wonderful video of that game on YouTube if people never seen it. Lots of kids with long hair and basically roller scarves. We lose 1 0 to Man City, and he covers it in the book. He actually went to Ron Suet 
and he actually said to Ron Stewart, look, this isn't working out. I think, you know, it's time to put the kids in. Um, I think I should take over. Ron Stewart actually agreed. So they went jointly to the board, presented the proposal that Eddie would then take over management of the first team and Ron would become general manager. You know, so very brave to do that. But again, what he also says was he was inspired to do it by Charlie Cook. And Charlie confirms that in his interview. And Charlie actually said to Eddie, you, know, you can do this. You know, you know, you're made for this. Because Eddie by then had finished his playing career. He was coaching the reserves to begin with. Then he was already assisting Ron Stewart with coaching the first team. So it was a natural progression. So... Mm. Brave man, take that on, three games to go. But he thought, you know, you know he could turn it round. Yeah. I mean, in, in some respects, Smithy, you know, just, just kind of reflecting on it, it seems a bit like it was a, a poison chalice. Not only were we likely to get relegated and he was on a hiding to nothing there, but also, you know, as I said, it was, it was clearly a time to break up that very successful and now ageing team. Most of whom were, of course... His mates, that's right. who he played with. So that's his first right. job was to, well, that's right. to, to, to get rid of them. Yeah, one of his first uh, decisions that he made was to give Ray Wilkins the captaincy at yeah. 18. 18. Yeah, and, and he left out Steve Kember and he left out John Hollins, who were established midfielders. And, um, and, and he gave you know, the likes of Gary Locke and, and I think John Sparrow even played in that game at Tottenham as well. But, and Teddy Maybank, I think, made his debut at Tottenham. If I'm not, not You're right, yeah, not correct. And so he, he threw his hand in Eddie, you know, and he, you know, he said, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then when you get to the last game, when we are finally relegated against Everton, uh, Eddie was quoted as saying, "I'm making big changes on and off the field, and you know, I can't wait, and we will be back." You know? So, in, in a sense, do you think? He, 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 I mean. I mean, obviously, we had those two games to go after Tottenham, but do you think he, he had accepted that we were going to go down? I, I, I don't think so, no. Yeah. I think, like I said earlier, I think we all thought we could still get out of this. Yeah. And um, if, if you look over the whole of that season, some of our performances were absolutely abysmal, like losing 7-1 at Wolverhampton Wanderers. But then we, we drew 2-2 at Liverpool, who were, who were absolutely... You know, Liverpool were your yardstick. They, you know, at that well, time. They were superb. Team. Yeah, and we went to Anfield and led twice. And and they, Chelsea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in the book, in the book, I think Jock, Jock Fenderston will tell you he, he scored with a fantastic chip from about thirty yards. But he said he was convinced. He now that, tells us it was from sixty. Well, well he, he's convinced that the referee just carried on until they equalised. You know, they said they said the goal was in the 89th minute. But Jock, Jock says, well, I'm convinced he just carried on playing and, and until Liverpool could score, and when we were glad to get out to two 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 draw. But other uh, some of the other games. Like the one that Mark just mentioned, I remember that one nil to Manchester City, and I can honestly say we didn't create a chance in the whole game. In fact, that evening I was going to see Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel at, at the Hammersmith Odeon, and I was more concerned about how they might play that that day. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been Mr. Soft. Yes. They, well, no. no, no, no. Right, I'll, do, I'll do the joke. Yes, yeah, I think it's best that way. But, but, but no, I, I mean, you know, we were up and down. We had some. Some, some. We, we had a mixture, you know. Eddie was right, you know. It, it was just a matter of c- 
cull in some of the older boys who, who, who you know, who, whose days have come and gone and getting the balance right with the youngsters. You know, like Mark said about Charlie Cook still hung around and, and, and you know, we'll come to that, but he was pivotal in, in, into playing his part in the following season. I mean, you know, go, going into that season, I mean, the, the, if anybody who wasn't old enough to be around in those days, to be fair, I wasn't really... Uh, but if you go and Google the time, I mean, you, you see a picture of Eddie Mack, and he's wearing very cool kind of aviator right. shades. His yeah. hair was long. I mean, cool shades and sheepskin, wasn't yes. he? I mean, yes. he, he was quite he was quite a striking figure. Um, I mean, the other thing that I remember uh, about the seventy five seventy six season really is enshrined in a in a chant that uh, is not sung often enough these days, but it's one of Phil Norman's favourites. It's always been one of mine. Which is, you know, come along, come along, come along and sing yeah. this song with the boys in blue division, division two, two we won't be a block. But it's about that 75, 76 season. That's right, that's right. Um, I mean, one of the things that I found out, because I mean, you know, believe it or not, uh, dear listener, I do do a bit of homework before I do these things, largely because I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone 40 years ago. But um, we finished 11th that season, so kind of mid table in the second division. And it was also. Um, the smallest crowds we've had for five decades, Mark. Now, you, you boys were there throughout it all. What was it like? Oh, um, I think the one game that's frustrating at all? Uh, yes, yes. There, there were times when it was, you know, they were playing well, but that first season, there's, there's not many memorable moments from it. But in terms of the crowds, the one game that, there's actually two games, the one game that really sticks in my mind, um, we played Crystal Palace in the FA Cup on the Saturday. Fantastic game of football. 55,003 people there from memory. Um, we lost 3-2, thanks to Peter Taylor. And the following Tuesday or Wednesday, and I was in the West End benches for this one, we played Hull City, and there were 10,000 there. In, in a matter of 72 hours, we'd lost 45,000 people well, off, why, off the why game. Is that? How does that and, happen? Well, I, I think there was that period, and that's probably the beginning of it, where Chelsea sort of yo-yoed in terms of crowds. So we could get 40,000. And even in the following season, one of the best games of the season, we got 42,000 against Southampton. But the next home game, we probably got about 27. So there was still a bit of that. We were still fashionable. You know, people would go along and see Chelsea because it was Chelsea. But the, the other game, and Kelvin and I talk about this a lot and we tweet about it to each other as well, the one game that really sticks in my mind, which is another low crowd, is we played Oldham Athletic um, very early in 1976. Now... It was Oldham's first visit to Chelsea in 45 years. Um, and you sort of think, as a Chelsea fan, because we were Chelsea, well, it's only Oldham Athletic, yeah, we'll win this one comfortably. It was cold, I think the pitch was a bit like an ice rink, and we lost 3-0 to Oldham. And I remember, and it was, they actually said in the paper, it's Oldham's first visit to Chelsea in 45 years, and actually, it'll take 45 years for Chelsea fans to forget about that performance. <laughs> So we've still got about five years, to, five years to go. And, uh, and Kel- Kelvin and I, you know, t- you know, we talk about it. You know, it was awful. You know, so we had some low crowds. We had some bad performances. Um, you know, in that seventy-five-six season. Did you did you have a feeling, Smithy, after that? You know, which was a bit of a frustrating season, very different to what we were accustomed to. Crowds deviating from forty thousand to twenty thousand one week after the other. I would imagine a bit of gloom and despondency may may well have thank you may well have uh, uh, set in. Um, but was there kind of optimism around there, there, for the there, next season? There, there was, uh, there, there, yes, there was from, 
particularly for myself, I think. But I, I mean, there was in the book I mentioned about a bit of serendipity that um, David Hay and Steve Wicks were put together as a, a defensive partnership almost by accident because of injuries to I think John Dempsey and, and might have been Ron Harris something like that and I remember we, we had one game where we won 3-1 at Nottingham Forest and Forest were a good side then and on that day Wicks and Hay just clicked and, and it gave us a, a bit of a, an engine a bit of a driving force and everything else started to, you know Ray Wilkins was just in front of them and, and things started to click and I thought if we get a solid, if we get a, a settled side for the following season, we can do this because a lot of other players were. You know, Gary Lock was a great right back. You know, as I say, Wicks, Wicks started to click. David Hay had been dogged by injury, and and also we'd played him in different positions when he came to Chelsea. He, he was quite a stellar signing. Well, he it? was. After you know, nineteen seventy-four. He was one of the best players in the seventy-four World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And you know, after all the turmoil we'd had, to sign him for I think it was two hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds. Was a, you know it was it was it was a it was a big sign at the time, and unfortunately it didn't he didn't hit the ground running because of injuries and our form, and yet that season as soon as I think we were we were into the second half of the season and then Wicks and Hayes started to get together, um, we got more settled with the, the fullbacks in front, and then we you know the likes of Ian Britton, Ray Lewington, and and, and um, you know Butch in, in the middle. We started to. You know, I started to think. You know, if, if we get a set with side, you know, we can do we can do it next season. In fact, I think a lot of people thought, although we'd finished mid-table, um, there, there were there were you know the, the, the shoots of recovery were coming through. I, I felt anyway. I remember thinking that you know it, it, it wasn't what we wanted, but you know it was promising. Mm. I mean, it's, it's interesting what you say there because, of course, you know nowadays when a team gets relegated from the Premier League. The first thing that happens is either the rats that are earning 150,000 a week mm. decide they want to play Champions League football and mm. bugger off somewhere else, mm. or the club has to sell a load of them to get them off the wage bill because they're earning so much money. So you end up with a, a very different squad of players, in a sense, arguably equipped to deal with the Championship, mm. not the Premier League. Mm. But in those days, that wasn't really true. It wasn't that as if we had to sell players and, and all the rest of it. In fact, actually, the, the interesting thing about, I think, the beginning of the 76. 77 season is more to do at the beginning of it with what happened off the pitch still we're absolutely riddled with debt we're having to sell off the Mitchum training ground and in fact I think because of the debts we had an embargo on buying players didn't we Mark? Yes we did and the other thing we had as well and can you imagine this happening in the modern day game when the players I think were on their pre-season tour of Sweden I think they agreed to take a wage cut Wow. Yeah, the, the club was so strapped for money um, that you know, the players got together. I can't remember how much it was, but they actually got paid less because you know, they just you know, were doing their bit for the club. You know, the modern day player, can you imagine saying in the modern day dressing room, you're going to have to sort of give up £100,000 worth of wages? You know, they'll, they'll be putting in a transfer straight away. Mental, mental. So, you know, I, I think again, you know, and it, it does come up, it does come up a lot. Uh, uh, in the modern game, you know, when, when Chelsea have got such a an amazing uh, crop of youth players, I forget. I mean, they've won that youth cup in recent history so many times. I forget how many times it is now. It's about five out of the last seven or something. It's mad, isn't yeah. it? And of course, actually, I think that the, the season before uh, the youth team or was it maybe in '75. They've got to the semi-final of the youth cup for the first time since the early '60s, but. 
number one, a lot of the modern supporters are clamouring for our talented youth players to get into the current first team. In 1975-67, the club had very, very little choice because they couldn't actually buy players, so they had to put uh, some of these talented youth players in. Although, of course, we didn't know they were going to be talented. But if I just kind of run through who kind of broke through that year, in my, my recollection, Ray Wilkins, obviously the captain, as you said, Smith, he was 18. Steve Wicks, Brian Basson, Ray Lewington, Kenny Swain, Gary Stanley, Ian Britton, Tommy Langley, and, of course, Super John Finiston. So these are the kind of players that we're talking about who came through in that 76-77 season. But, you know... I think the first thing really to talk about is it's, it wasn't necessarily a risk because Chelsea had no choice. But on the other hand, how much can we attribute to Eddie Mack to get that, that lot to play the way that they did? Because I think everybody that I've ever spoken to of your generation get dewy-eyed about the way that they played. It's not just about the fact that they were like us and they were on the terraces one year and playing the next. They played in a certain way and it was Eddie that kind of enabled that to happen, wasn't it, Smithy? Yeah, it reminded me of when I first went to Chelsea in the, the mid-60s, yeah. like I say. Doherty's um, Diamonds. Doherty's Diamonds, yeah. And, and, and that was... A, he, he, Chelsea always had this thing, they used to say, uh, if we're not doing well, come Easter, chuck the kids in. <laughs> give, give, give him a chance give him a chance yeah. you know even Ken Bates knew that when he got to Chelsea in 82 uh, if we got to Easter and, and it wasn't working out give the, the give, yeah, give the kids a chance you've got nothing to lose you know and whatever and and I think you know the same Ed, Eddie Mack being a Scot just like Tommy Dockley beat the drum and he basically said come on get behind my kids and, and he got behind them and, and to be quite honest it, uh, the, what's, what's the saying the sum of the parts is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts yeah and I honestly think that you know they were a team they were a team uh, you know when I look at it it's like a 4-4-2 with you know Jock and Kenny Swain up front and the Kenny Swain became a bloody central defender, didn't he? When well, he was at Villa, well, Villa and Forest, yeah. he played well, European he, well, he played right back and left back as well. You know, it's but quite he was amazing. Front but us. he was playing up front with Jock in the 76-77 season. But then, you know, you had a nice balance, a bit like now when you, you know, or, or when you look at McAlady, what we were. Ray Lewington, his job was the water carrier. He, he just got the ball and then gave it to Ray Will. Ray Will. Yes. Lovely flowing ginger yeah. hair. And Gary Stanley, you know, Gary Stanley had a fantastic shot on him. You know, he was more forward than going forward. And Ian Britton buzzed around all over the place. You know, so it was a team. It, it, was, it was a team. I'm not going to take anything away from them and say that they perhaps weren't, you know, that good. Because individually they were all good as well. Mark, you wanted to chip in on that? Yeah, I think and Neil and I are on the same page. I think what changed between 75 and 76 for me is a slight change of style in play. If you, if you look at the team formations, I think in the previous, we were more 4-3-3. So most of the midfield for that first season was Wilkins, Stanley, Britton. And your forward line was a Bill Garner, Ian Hutchinson, Teddy Maybank. Occasionally, at the end of the season, Jock finishing com- combination. Ray Lewington didn't play a lot in that first season, but he played in the second season. And I don't think, for me, he wasn't just a water carrier. We talk about the McAlealy and Kante roles now, and we talk about diamond formations when Terry Venables. If you look at that, that Chelsea setup there, 
you had Ray, Ray Wilkins, almost as the, what we now call the traditional number 10, and Lewington was almost like the minder in front of the defence. The Makaleli role, yeah, he was the original Makaleli. And then you had the wit with Stanley and Britain. You know, so we were a diamond formation in 76-7 before the diamond formation was actually even created. So again, you know, for McCready, whether that's foresight, sometimes say as a coach you've got to be lucky. You know, so he had these young players, but he actually got a formation that worked. You know, Wilkins in the second season played much further forward. He played right behind Finneson and Swain, and that account for the goal. So, you know, for, for me, it was the. He, I think McCready must have made a tactical change in that second season. You know, the style of play we played was very different. Which, in, in some respects, is, is no surprise because I mean Eddie yeah. had been a fantastic attacking yeah. fullback, so he would understand absolutely the advantages of, of width and playing with width. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, Ray. I mean. I, I, I absolutely love Ray Wilkins like you cannot believe and, uh, and and one of the reasons is that he was the star of, of the first Chelsea team that I really fell in love with uh, but he was some player I mean as, as you guys were saying when he started he was, he was 18 he was the captain but Ray, Ray played I mean if, if, if people remember how, how David Beckham played uh, you know in his kind of in the middle of it you know at his pomp if you like he played like a quarterback, didn't he? He would sit in the midfield and he would just look up and he would ping a 40-yard ball to feet. That's what Ray Wilkins was doing for Chelsea for those three, three or four years that he, that he was at the heart of the team, wasn't it, Smithy? That's right. I mean, I mean, I, I remember, as I said, um, Ray... And, that, lived, and the unbroke kit. Yeah. Course, well, well, Ray, you know, uh, you know I, was, I was particularly interested in his career and, you know, when he burst onto the scene... Um, when he got to Manchester United after he left Chelsea, he was cruelly labelled the crap because he went sideways. And yet, I, I always thought it was for, for another reason. Oh right. Well, any, any, anyway, when, 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 when he first came, when he when he first burst on when he first burst on the scene at Chelsea, you know, he, 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 I, I've, I've seen him. I saw him score a couple of great goals with diving headers. Yeah. You know. And also, you know, to, to, to launch one from 25 yards or volley from 30 yards was, was you know, all part of his repertoire, yeah. you know. I mean, he scored, he scored great goals <laughs> yeah, all, all over the place, you know. I think, you know, when he got to United, I don't want to go down that road, but when he got to United, you know, he was told to, you know, close his game down a bit and do the sensible thing. And, and yet, You're at United now, Yeah, mate. yeah. You can, just, you can hear it, can't yeah. you? And, and yet, you know, I, I still, actually, after... This 77 time, you know, 78, 79, I've watched games on YouTube where he actually just dictated the yeah. game from He's start. A hell of a player. Yeah, from start hell to finish. We had a game, I think, when Peter Barocca made his debut, and we, were, we weren't looking too good then in 1980. Some of the players had been sold off. And Butch well, was, including, including Ryan. Well, he was about to go. Yeah. He was about to go. But, I mean, you just watched him, and, and he, he had all the attributes of Alan Hudson and Peter Rosgood basically rolled into one. He could ping a ball anywhere. You know, his body shape was fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, he was as good as what you could get. At that just think how good he could have been if only he could have run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, talk, I mean, let's not go down the United Road, I agree. No, no. But, I mean, I got, I got to, 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 to meet Ray and got to, I worked with him for about a couple of months, got to know him really, really well. I mean, it's like all my, you know, birthdays rolled into one. Yeah. Sitting there in a green room, mm. drinking wine with Ray, watching football and, and talking football with him. And he, and he is he is such a gentleman. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sure I've told the story before, but I'm going to indulge myself anyway. 
towards the end of the series, uh, which is like a, a World Cup magazine studio show, um, on Ray's last show, he finished his stint about three or four matches before the final. And uh, number one, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm you know directing it, so I'm in the ear of the presenter, and I do, and I don't know how he got the opportunity to do it, but I just squawked down his ear. I said, "Talk to him about that goal he scored in the FA Cup final. See mm. what happens." Mm. And and of course, Sam, the presenter, remembered it well, and, mm. and Ray was hilarious, saying mm. that he was so. Uh, amazed that he'd scored a goal in an FA Cup final because as you said by that time the, yeah. his game had been closed down yeah. he was so excited that he ran pretty much all the way around the pitch that's right and he was so exhausted afterwards that he didn't actually kick the ball again <laughs> but the other nice thing was when, at the end of the show when we were about to roll the credits the entire studio crew all the camera and everybody just spontaneously gave him a round of applause yeah, yeah. because they loved him mm. because he was such a lovely guy. Well, what you saw with that goal against Brighton in that cup final, yeah. that was the sort of exactly. thing he, he was doing as an 18-year-old exactly. at Chelsea. You know? but I, but I also say, you know, I was at school then, you know, 77 season, he was iconic because you, know, you had the guys, many Chelsea fans in my school, wanted to be Ray Wilkins, yeah. and I agree with you 100% yeah. there. I thought he was the best player in a Chelsea side. But the girls in my class wanted to go out yeah. with Ray Wilkins. And he's you know, a footballer who appeared in Jackie. Now, yeah. if you remember Jackie yeah. growing up... I read it every week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the girls' sort of shoot magazine. <laughs> he's just giving me a yeah. filthy look. No, no. no. <laughs> like, you know, Ray Wilkins yeah. was in there, and there's this, there's this picture. I've, I've, still, I've still got it. Yeah. I showed it to him. Um, when, when we did the interview with him, and there's a picture of him, Stephen Gray, and Wilkins in the centre page, page spread of Jackie magazine. You know, he's a heartthrob. He's a heart, he, was, he, was, he was a heartthrob. But then you had the Starsky and Butch, you know, him and Gary Stanley, often appearing, you know, in sort of like magazines and newspapers. They were two, two, two good-looking lads. But I think the other thing for me, out of all the interviews we did, that was the one I was so looking forward yeah. to. You know, and we had a marvellous afternoon. Myself, Neil. Um, we did the interview with Ray, but we had lunch over in Ascot with Graham Wilkins, Jock Finiston. Yeah, marvellous afternoon talking football. And again, the next day he was on Talk Sport. And clearly, you know, in an afternoon of Neil's company, he plugs Neil on the radio. That's Neil's did really? Co- I he did indeed. When he called, he referred to me. He referred to me as the Chelsea statistician, or, or sorry, no, a Chelsea statistician, like this. Because we were, funnily enough, we were talking about Newcastle's demise yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. And how they always claim that they'd always had 50,000 in St James Park, no matter what. And I pointed out to him that I went to a game at, at Newcastle, I think it was in about 1978, when we were both mid table and there was nothing planned. I think the crowd was 17,500. And, uh, you know, so that put pay to that theory that they've always had 50,000 baying for them, you know, whatever. I know crowds come and go at every club, but. You know, as, well, we just, as we just as, discussed, as they were with us. That's, that that's time, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you weren't you weren't telling him that, about about how the save was shot from Marcus Rashford or anything. No. 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 Anyway, <laughs> we, we should move the on. Goalkeeper should have saved. The goalkeeper should have saved. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, let's not go down that road. Um, it wasn't all about Ray, though, was it? I mean, Ray, Ray was the hero and the, and the shining beacon of, of that side. Mm. And as we've all said, and one of the reasons why, 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 I, why I loved it, and you really can't imagine that happening now, a, a club the size of Chelsea having an 18-year-old captain. I mean, 
it just wouldn't happen now, would it? It'd be the equivalent of Mason Mount, Captain <laughs> University. Yes. Yeah, it would be, yeah. it would be. Um, but as I said, it wasn't just about Ray, was it? I mean, we had some other superb players. And I think, again, one of my... Uh, uh, well, a couple of favourites, really. Super Jock Finiston. Largely because he scored so many goals. But I, I was a big fan of Tommy Langley as well. Uh, in, 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 for me, in my mind's eye, Tommy Langley kind of embodies that that young team, you know, kind of galloping. He had this funny run, didn't he? He kind of galloped. Or galloped. I'm not quite sure which. But he did, didn't he? So, I mean... Um, Let's talk about Super Jock. I mean, he scored 26 goals in that promotion season. That's good by anybody's standards, isn't it, Mark? Oh, phenomenal sort of scoring rate. And again, you know, if you weren't Ray Wilkins in the school play, playground in 1976, you were Jock Finiston. You know, the number nine shirt, the number nine Chelsea shirt is always an iconic shirt yeah, for me. Yeah. He, you know, for that short period of time when he was our striker, he, he did a fantastic job there. And he actually, you know, he got crucial goals for us. You know, they were, you know, they were really important. I think there was, I think Forrest. Forrest. We played Forrest with about five or six games to go. We'd had, we'd had a bit of a wobble in the promotion run-in. We had to beat Forrest. And Jock scored a very, very late goal. And he got really important goals you know, throughout that season when it really mattered. And again, he's a lovely guy. You know, an afternoon in Jock's company, I would recommend to any yeah. Chelsea fan. He can tell many a story about those days. When, when, when we met up with him in Ascot, uh, Graham Wilkins was there. And Graham was uh, joking about how when Chelsea had won 1-0 at Carlisle, Jock had broken his cheekbone early in the game and perhaps his nose and refused to come off the pitch and just saw it to the end. And in fact, they'd gone all the way to Carlisle by coach and they said... Yeah, and, and they said... Could, yeah, yeah, and they said, could you know, he ought to go to a doctor straight away and they reckon he saw it out for the whole coach journey home and they just got back in time for last orders... Uh, to have a, a, a couple of noggins, you know, at the end of that night, back down near, near the ground. They like to drink that, then. That, well, apparently so. But, but, you know. but also, the modern day job, uh, Neil Barnett does those half time walk arounds. Yes. Um, and I think in the last couple of seasons, Jock's walk around, I think last season, is legendary. Mm. Yes. Neil Barnett made the mistake of giving him the microphone. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Jock did a call out <laughs> to all the Chelsea fans. He knew it was absolutely yeah. fantastic. He, he yeah. knew what stand they were in their names. He knew where they And he stopped at every part. Yeah. Uh, every was place. There, yeah, it, yeah. Was yeah. Yeah. it was hilarious. It was It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he chose a day to do the walk around where I was either grumpy or too pissed to move. So I actually stayed in my seat at half time rather than go to the bar we got in gate 17 so I was lucky enough to see that but I don't, I don't know why because it's Ascot and he lives near Ascot but the, the other thing about Jock you know he's a mad racing fan and uh, when we did the interview uh, interview with him he actually says I think in one season or one year he, he didn't work because he was almost like a professional gambler really and he made enough money to live on yeah, you know, you know, so you know, credit to him. He knows his horses as well as his football. Well, there you go. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, his song, still one of my favourite songs, which I, I, I last sang with. You remember Martin? Martin Levy, don't you? Yes, indeed. Dr. Mark. Dr. Mark. I sat, I sat next to him, and when he, he had another season for a while, so it would be a while ago. But he's kind of at the front of Gate 17. It was, you know. Super Jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles. La 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 la. <laughs> and there were people that looked round. It was like, God, blimey, I haven't heard that for a long time. And I, that was a, you know, those um, 
you know those uh, kind of uh, end of season dues that Chelsea have I can't remember which one maybe it was in November so it's not an they have a lot of the old players there I never remember what they're called it used to be, it used to be the pitch owners now Pop, they, possibly. they call it the, the annual lunch yeah, yeah. anyway I, I turned up on one had a great time got well pissed and we ended up in the butcher's hook afterwards with a load of the older players of course and I mean one of the lovely things is, I think it was Mick Fillery and, and, and Bummers Johnny Bumpster but were sitting there and they were so drunk they were in that they were in the stage of the I always loved you Bummers I always you're always my favourite mate yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they were like oh, you know and Super Jock walks in and looked a bit crestfallen because nobody was paying him any attention and I, I spotted it and I just basically stood up and went Super Jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles and, and, and he was like he was loving it yeah. everybody joined in of course yeah. and he loved it Fantastic bloke, hugely talented footballer. Actually, very, very underrated. Um, you know, really, we should uh, we should move on to. I mean, you mentioned Forrest a minute ago, didn't you, Smithy? And, and, and the amazing thing is that, that if, you, if you go back now, somebody who, who wasn't around there at that time, uh, we finished second to Wolves that year when we got promoted. Forrest were third, and yet the next year, Forrest went on to win the league. The year after that, they won the European Cup, and the year after that, they won it again. Indeed. And yet, we were better than Forest that year. Well, we were that year. I mean, one, one of my heroes outside of Chelsea is Brian Clough. Yeah, and me Brian too, Clough. Brian Clough probably did what Eddie would have liked to have done it at Chelsea to see the project all the way through. And um, you know, dare I say it? You know, Kenny Swain actually got one of his European Cup medals, I think, with with well, was, no Villa. Villa. Oh, was it Villa? Yeah. Sorry, no, I, I knew that. We've just outstated. Yeah, yeah no, he right. might have played for Forest in one of their finals. I don't know, but um, yeah, you know, Forest, Forest were more workmanlike side. We had a lot more flair than yeah. they did, and it was, you know, I still think, you know, until Leicester won the league last season. Um, what Forrest did was was probably just as just as better, good. Better in my Although, book. Although um, you know they came third, yeah, in the second division. That's right. They won the league next year. That's, that's better than Leicester, mate. Well, we, yes, indeed, yes. I'll and then they that. won the European Cup twice. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll give you that. But like you say, you know, I, I didn't see it coming at the time. You know, I was just happy that we were runners up and we got up. I, yeah, you know, yeah. wasn't wasn't bothered about about them. But they they had you know when you look at you know Martin O'Neill was there, Kenny Burns was there, and um, Larry Lloyd, Larry Lloyd. You know, you know, and all the, the fat little fat Scots bloke uh, Robertson, yeah, and Ian Bow. Yeah, have you seen that film? Uh, um, I believe in miracles. By Good the way. film. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not Chelsea, but I tell you, it's one of the best films made of that era that I have ever seen. But if you watch that film... Larry Lloyd yeah. is just hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Can you imagine a Chelsea film from the same Well, I era? know. Yeah. What we do now, boys, yeah. we make the book into yeah. a film. Yes. Wow. I'll have the rights. So but... If I buy you both yeah. another beer, will yeah. you give me the film? Yes. Right? All right. Yeah. There is a but, though. Yeah, and this is cropped up. If we make it into a film... The contractual agreement I have with John Sparrow is... So Dave Johnson gets all the money? No. What John Sparrow said is if this book ever becomes a film, only Brad Pitt can play (laughs) John Sparrow. (laughs) Well, that's quality. But it begs the question, Smithy, doesn't it? If if we were better than Forrest, which we were, we finished second, the table doesn't lie, and they went on to win the league the next year, if we'd have kept our young 
uh, manager who played this great uh, brand of football. How do you think Chelsea would have done in the first division the next year with Eddie McCready in charge? I think he was a great motivator. I don't want to take anything away from Ken Shiletto, who, who then. No, no, no. Ken was well loved. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Ken was Chelsea through and through, just like Eddie was. You know, it's, their careers have been you know side by side. Um, I just think that Eddie, a bit like Brian Clough. Uh, had that something about him he had something about him to mo- he was a Mr Motivator basically and like I said earlier Good man manager yeah like I said earlier you know you know, the, the team was greater than the, the, the parts yeah. of within or whatever and actually I, I can't recall exactly but I think Forrest we just mentioned a few names there but I don't know whether when I look at the team that went up in third place Brian Clough then was able he was given the resource to get a big spine down the back of that I don't I don't know if Larry, I don't know whether Shilton, Lloyd, Trevor Francis were actually. I don't think no, they no, were. Not, no, not, no, not, 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 no. But when they won the European Cup, by that time they were installed. They were installed. But he, he I think put, I think he bought Shilton yeah. uh, the next year when they won the league. He did. I, I, you know, yeah. it, it, it's easy to say, but losing Eddie as did and then going up. Um, I think the players were deflated. I think we were all deflated, really. You know, and and uh, and, that, and it was the motivation that perhaps wasn't there. And you know, starting off with a bad result the following season at West Brom, losing three 0 on the other day. Set the tone, it it set the tone. It did set the tone. And um, you know, uh, well, we, we 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 can't say. I'd like to think you know, if Eddie, if Eddie had been there banging the drum, what well, you know, he said on the last day at Molyneux, we're not going back to consolidate. We're going back to frighten people. We're, we're going to take this division by storm. And we all went, yeah, yeah, you know, give, bring it off. What you want to hear? Yeah, and, and it, sadly, it didn't it never happen. happen. No, um, and we're not going to talk about. Uh, the end of Eddie McCready because we've we've alluded to it uh, before in the interview and I think that uh, you know the details in the the devil of the bat is in the detail of the book and I think we'll save that for people who read the book Um, you mentioned Wolves a minute ago uh, Smithy but Mark um, you know I really want to talk about some of your standout matches from the season generally because let's start from from the back before we go to the front as it were am I right in saying that uh, that uh, that 1-1 one, one that we had with Wolves, which is, I think it was our penultimate match, wasn't it? It, it was. But we needed, we needed a point to get promoted. But yeah. was, that, was that one of the infamous Chicago and Chelsea fan matches? It, it was. I think, I think it was the Charlton Athletic game a little bit earlier than that, um, where we lost 4-0 at the Valley. And unfortunately on that evening, um, some of our supporters decided to set fire to the Valley. Um, and as a result, the Minister for Sport, I think, was Dennis Howell. Yeah. Uh, immediately banned us. Um, so we were only really precipitating what was going to happen to the valley anyway. To be fair, you know. <laughs> well, Charlton, Charlton, several years later, was, uh, you know, they decided themselves to destroy, <laughs> to destroy that ground. Um, so that was the start of you can't ban a Chelsea fan, and it comes up quite often in the book. You know, the players they knew we were banned. Yeah, absolutely. They knew. They knew we were banned. That we shouldn't be in the stadium. Yeah, and they said the most remarkable thing, and it crops up many times yeah. in the book. And if you look at the old-style Molyneux where the dressing rooms were, and many of them said, as you come out of the tunnel, you look to the right, and where you know, they weren't expecting anything to be, there was probably eight or 9,000 Chelsea fans, and the enormous lift that that gave that whole team, there was absolutely no way that Chelsea were not getting promoted that day. Yeah, that, that was, I think the only downside was having taken the lead through Tommy Langley and I think John Richards equalising the second half for them 
we probably played out the equivalent of West Germany Austria well, in, the, in the World Cup yeah, in the latter stages of the game bizarrely enough yeah. you know, I, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen that game yeah. the highlights of it on, on YouTube not yeah. that long ago and yeah. you're absolutely right once yeah. John Richards equalised the wall basically they just both teams shut I tell you what to put it into modern parlance it was a bit like Lake Norian versus whoever they played the other week when that match got resumed they basically just passed it around. but the other thing is this is fantastic absolutely spot on even the commentator alluded to the fact that there were Chelsea supporters in there and he says Hugh Johns yeah there's lots of Chelsea supporters like here they're not even supposed to be here or whatever he said but it was definitely referenced you know Um, I mean because I've always thought that it was uh, later than that it was an 80s thing because we were banned in the 80s and there was a period where I think we had Bolton away Hull City away and Wrexham away in the yeah. FA Cup where we were banned and then I think we played Watford and so many people turned up the authority said there's no point banning them we'd rather have them in the ground control etc but it originated for the Wolves game in 77 yeah which is a game funny enough that we've covered on this show before Shell Tell in the days when he used to be on the show to tell these hilarious things we used to call Tales from the Shed and he was at that match and he ended up in, as, he, as he told it in a, in a gay nightclub in Wolverhampton wearing a sombrero hat if you want to know what that was you have to go back in the archive <laughs> I, I still <laughs> I, I, I remember you know they'd said that there was, you know Chelsea would be banned from Molyneux in the last uh, away game of the season and then um I remember I was I was on this a couple of away games before that up to Oldham and uh, I think Burnley. Um, some of the old stalwarts of Chelsea came down the middle of the train taking um, taking deposits and also phone numbers and saying we're going up to Wolves on the Sunday before the game. We're gonna we're gonna buy up as many tickets as we can and uh, you'll all be all right. And you know I, I think I handed over some money and my phone my phone number and then. Um, Lo and behold, the week before we played Sheffield United at home, and the King, the Fulham Road was awash with tout saying, you know, Wolves tickets, Wolves tickets, and they wanted two quid for an eighty pence terrace ticket. A lot of money in those yeah, days. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, yeah, I had to forego a night in the pub, you know. <laughs> but but you know, it was eighty pence face value and, 20, and two pounds for the ticket. And I actually had someone ring me saying, "I've got your ticket," and I said, "Oh, I've already bought one." And uh, that certain Chelsea fan said, it's OK, we've got plenty of other takers. So how on earth we got eight or nine... And there was eight or nine thousand there. There's no Before two ways mobile about yeah, well, Exactly, yeah. yeah indeed. On you know, the internet. Yeah. And, and, and Dave Johnson would regale in the, in the book that, you know, we were also told we couldn't have special trains to go there either. Well, we were banned. Because we were banned. And yet, I think, that, strangely enough, British Rail put on trains to places like Walsall and then had an array of buses up outside as if to say well we know what you're going to go like Mark just said about going to Watford you know a few years later they decided it was better because it was so near it was better to have you inside the stadium than shopping in the in the you know in the city centre yeah I mean it's interesting isn't it because I mean, and this is a point that I wanted to pick up on really just generally about about you know our time in the second division you know, I, you know, obviously, I was more of a child of the '80s when, of course, you know, when we got relegated again, uh, it was a novelty having a club like Chelsea in the second division. And of course, you know, you go to weird places like Shrewsbury or Cambridge, and 
you know, you'd take over their town, they wouldn't like it, and, and legends were born as a result. Yeah. But this was the first kind of time that it happened, and of course, in a sense, hooliganism was, was I think, more rife in the 70s, really. So, you know, was, was travelling around to, you know, pick, I'm trying to remember some of the matches that we played that year, but, you know, we would have been travelling to, to places like, uh, you know, Blackpool, uh, I mean, Christ, you've got Millwall playing in that league, Bristol Rovers. You know, I've heard tales about that. Mm. Carlisle, of course. Plymouth Argyle. When mm. was the last time we played Plymouth Argyle? I think so, la- last time we played Plymouth Argyle was probably that second time. The second time, 89, yeah. 89 season when we were relegated. Hereford then. United. Yeah. You know, so we're going to lots of kind of what we would, we would probably term as football backwaters. Mm. And, you know, you've got that incendiary kind of uh, atmosphere at the time where, where hooliganism was right. What was it like travelling away with Chelsea in that season? I, I used to go by different means of travel. Sometimes we... Not, not Phil's Capri. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, we, sometimes we'd all, you know, jump into his Capri and my mate Bill, Bill Bond from Brighton had a Billy big... Bond. Yeah, he had a, he had a big Ford Granada. So there was like... Two, two lots of us with our sheepskin coats and uh, and the shades like Eddie McCready yeah yeah exactly like that sporting and, and the Eddie McCready look yeah I think the ones that stick out for me Dave are um, Forest as, as you said earlier they, they had they had a mass although although the city ground only had a capacity of under 30,000 their, their support was pretty phenomenal and it was yeah. and it was ardent as well yeah. and uh, Forest and Chelsea even before my time if you go back to the 60s, 60s yeah. was, was always a, a big one on the calendar and, and you know and, and there was no shrinking violence in those days I mean you know we, we went up to Forest that day it's on YouTube I think you see it you know one one and yeah. Martin O'Neill actually scores at the Trent ends and it's just 20th of November. Yeah, Martin O'Neill scores for Forest at the Trent end and it's just it just doesn't move because it's just <laughs> it's just it's just completely packed out with Chelsea fans who got there earlier and just took the end. and just completely took yeah. the end, you know and. and is that the infamous one where a lot of people got thrown in the River Trent after the game? Well, you used to hear the chanting all throughout the game, you're going in the Trent, from <laughs> one to another. Now, I never went round by the Trent after that game. I, I always took, yeah, yeah, I, t- I took another route outside of that. But um, that, that, it, it, was fright- it was frightening as well. It was frightening times. I mean, I, it's in the book, but when I came out of that Forest game, we came across a car park, and I remember seeing um, a Forest fan and he had his red and white scarf and everything and he had his big baggy trousers and all that and he was whirling a chain round his head and he'd smashed windscreens of Chelsea supporters' cars and, and he wasn't finished there either he was still whirling this chain around his head before, you know, before he was um, subdued and it was a bit mental, wasn't it? It was, it, it was, you know, the sort of thing that I would never want to see again No, I mean, you know Thankfully, we don't really. No, particularly not really. at our age now. No, no. Um, so, what what other matches, uh, Mark? You know, stick in your memory for I, that I, season. I, I think for me, for that season, a number of games that stand out. Um, coming back to the game of the previous season, Oldham Athletic. You know, have, having sort of seen Oldham get their first victory in forty-five years, we played in the following season, and it actually was a terrific game. Um, we beat them four-three. I think it was four-two at half-time. Um, but it comes back to sort of Ray Wilkins again. I think England had played during the week, and Ray Wilkins, I, I think it was his first or second cap, I think the press had given him a hard time. You know, you know this, this wonder kid isn't as good as he's made out to be. Got a wonderful reception from the Chelsea fans. 
And Ray Wilkins that day was absolutely remarkable. Yeah, I just I remember, uh, yeah, Neil, yeah, if I get this wrong, Neil, correct me. Yeah. I'm sure he scored direct from the corner. Yes, he did, yes. Yeah, from, from that game, which was unheard of. Yeah. And, yeah, he, he scored from the corner. He scored direct yeah, from the at corner. The sh- at the shed end. At the shed end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he single-handedly, we ran out 4-3 winners. He ran that game, he scored for us. He, he could have carried away the match ball, the whole thing as well. Um, also, Southampton at home. Which, South, what, in the cup or in the in league? In the league. In the league. We they played, were cup, FA Cup holders. They were FA Cup holders. They were a strong side, Southampton. Shannon. Yep, Mick Shannon. You know, Ozzy was playing for them. Yeah. We were 1-0 down 15 minutes ago. Over 40,000, our biggest crowd you know, since we've been relegated to second division. And in the last 15 minutes, Kenny Swain, Finiston and Ray Wilkins got three goals. The atmosphere, remarkable in those last 15 minutes. And I think, I think again, another standout game, we played Fulham on Boxing Day. And they said there was 55,000 in the ground that day. I could have sworn there's probably more than that. Good God. Yeah. George Best was playing for Fulham, Rodney Marsh probably more. God, it was that one. It was that one. Um, we won 2 0. But, you know, the crowd, you know, the people were still coming in, I think, 20 minutes into the game. Really sort of like remarkable crowd. And I think, I, I remember even George Best, I think, got booked in that game, I think, for kicking Ray Lewington in the last minute. Because I think Ray Lewington had marked him out in the game for the whole 90 minutes. I think George Best had had enough and you know, he put one on Ray Lewington and went in the book, book as well. So. I think those games stand out for me and I think the whole game. You know, the whole game, Last one of the, season. the promotion party, yeah. the pitch invasion. I think the other memory I've got of that game, um, I think when we came out for the second half, this skinhead runs on the pitch uh, and, and I think he has a bunch of flowers in his hands. As they uh, do. As you do. <laughs> At that time, sort of like Skinners weren't, re- weren't renowned for walking around with a bunch of flat. And he runs onto the pitches, and the team's come out in the second half. And Ray Wilkins is there, and there's that pause at that moment where Ray Wilkins is probably thinking, what's this about? And he gets down and kisses Ray Wilkins' feet, and he gives him a bunch <laughs> of flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just a remarkable thing for, for that game. That sti- these things that stick in my mind of oh, the 40 man. years I should have long since forgotten about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, I, I, did you talk to Ray about yeah. that yeah. in the interview? Yes. And what did he say? Uh, I can't remember what he, what he said about that. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to look, look in the book to check. Yeah. And that's just, yeah. made, that's just yeah. made me think yeah. of something, actually, because, in a sense, what, what you're doing for this particular time capsule of, of Chelsea... Uh, is what Kelvin did for the entire 80s and yeah. what I loved about Kelvin's book is that it's full of anecdotes like that and the interviews of the players like Mickey Thomas going on about diving into was it gate 13 losing his gold chain and most of his kit and, uh, you know at the end of the season you know and, and that is what makes these books that's what makes them come to life absolutely Celery is a fantastic book yeah, but it is, it is the definitive book of the 80s, the 80s. exactly and like how Kelvin's done that um, and this is almost like yeah you can say this is the you know, Celery equivalent yeah. of, of that short of that period, short that period. Short period like those two and a bit years when Eddie McGregor was our manager yeah and I mean, I think, you know, in a sense, that kind of brings our little... I mean, I say our little, we've been probably waffling on for about an hour now. It just shows you how much fun it is. But you two are lucky enough, although you're, you know, seven years difference in age, but you two are lucky enough to, to follow Chelsea all the way through that season. I was too young, so I missed out. But everybody that I know, and I've got loads of mates like you two, similar kind of age... And they do, I said this earlier, they all get dewy-eyed about that, that season, particularly that season. 
what on earth, Smithy, was it about that season? I mean, it's 40 years ago. What is it about it? That makes, uh, the, the team won nothing. Well, well, they won well, nothing. They I, came second in the second division. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'd seen Chelsea. You know, I was lucky that, as I said earlier, I was blooded in 66. We, we had a great young side. You know, we kept getting to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. My family all went to the semi-final in 65, 66, 67. They all went to Wembley in 67 and we, and we lost the final. Then I was at the final with, with Leeds in 70. It didn't, unfortunately, I couldn't go to Old Trafford for the replay because, as my mum said, I got French that day. You know, and uh, so I, I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't talk to her. I didn't talk to her for a few years after that. I was few. Yeah, yeah, I was fourteen. I was fourteen, but I had family who did go to Old Trafford, and then there was Athens, and then it's hard to believe you now. No, no, I was only fifteen. No. Seventy-one, and then there we are. All right, it wasn't champions of Europe, but it was as near as God damn it, much the same. Massive European trophy, and there you are four years later getting relegated only four years if you think where you are now with Chelsea you go back four years we're still great you know four years to go from being we one... were in the League Cup in finals 72 as well yeah I was there for that one I was allowed to go to that but then 75 all of a sudden we're, we're down the plug hole and then to come back you know we were beating the drum to, to get to get back into the big time you know it, it was like a new lease of life and we I always remember um Again, when I mentioned about Eddie, Eddie McCready being on the radio in the on the car, we you know we tuned in and he said we're going back and we're going to shock everybody and whatever. I remember my brother was at the wheel of the car. He said, "Let's go home," as if to say like we're going back, you know, this sort of thing. But but yeah, I, I know we, you know like you say it wasn't the trophy, it wasn't anything, but it, it, in a way it, it was absolutely massive. You know, it was. You know, I'd been there for almost. You know, I joined in good times, and then this was this was this was dreadful to get rid of. It was absolutely dreadful. But to be coming back was, you know, was was was, was, was you know, was brilliant. Big stuff. And what about what about you, Mark? What, what was, what, why was it so special? Why was that you so special? I think lots of things. Um, I think first and foremost, like I was fourteen. And when I first started going to Chelsea, my dad took me. By then, I was going with my mates. And I think there's something about you know, that independence when you're going to football with your friends. I think that's why the 83, 84 season, depending on your age, was quite iconic as well. Yeah. Um, also, the style of football we played, I think the significance in this modern-day Chelsea and you know, younger fans, we were going out of business. Yeah. You know, Chelsea, you know, actually, you, you had to go. You felt, if I didn't go now, would Chelsea miss me? Probably not. But you, you felt you had to go, you had to be there. And as fans and players, you, United is one. And it's a bit for me, and also when you look at Eddie, you know, and in the forward, Omid Dalili has made reference to this. You know, he's almost like an aging rock star that's come out to help the bands. And there's a bit about that season. <laughs> you know, That's a great it, word for you know, me. It's like, you know, some of those musics, you know, that we love, you know, where a band only releases two classic albums or 40 towers, there was only two series. It was short and it was sweet. You know, in that two-year period, it was a remarkable time. You know, we played some great football, but also the 77 was a great time as well. Yeah, you think punk, music, you know, you know it comes... King's, King's Road, of course, the centre of the universe. King's Road, like, and, like, you know, and like Tim Rolls, yeah, I think Tim's going to be down later tonight. Tim, Tim wasn't the centre of the universe. No, no, but, but Tim, Tim, Tim gives a really good example. I mean, is it before the walls of the Hull game? Yeah, I think he went to see the Clash, the Jam and the Buzzcocks one night and went to Chelsea the next yeah. day. 
and I think the jams in the City album 40th anniversary coincides I think with our book yeah, launch yeah. there was so much well, going on well I was a Chelsea fan we didn't put it in the book but actually the jam played at Chelsea yeah. you know, all these things music and football were, were aligned you know, they were, it was just 1977 was an amazing time yeah Al Gregg Al Greg, not in his book when, yeah. I was, when he was on the show mentioned yeah. this and about the fact that you know a programme that uh, he uh, he got. I think it was would have been seventy six. One of his, you know, when he turned up there, had an advert for Dan's first single, New Rosen. Yeah, it did indeed. I that's remember. that's what that's the time we're talking about. So, it's, like for us, lot for people of our, our age, an iconic time. But it's, it's it's also in the book as well that whole time and, and Kelvin and Mark in the piece yeah. they've done, they've covered that whole period, and you forget what went on during that time. You know, the Sweeney was aired for the first time. I mentioned Forty Towers. Forty Towers. Some of the biggest films of all time: Star Wars, Close Encounters, Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse. All, all those the big films. You know, his, history. You know, you had things like Margaret Thatcher became leader of the Conservative Party. Well, we won't talk about. We that. won't talk about. I was going to say no politics on the show. No politics on the show. But let, let me let me fall Motorhead. Let yeah. me fall. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. If you, go, if you go back to what I said yeah, at the outset yeah, about yeah. the closeness. Yeah. Can you imagine this? After we've clicked promotion at Molyneux at Wolves, we're coming down the M6 in a hire car, we come off to have a leak in a service station, and while we're at the latrines or the urinals, Eddie Mack walks in with Peter Bonetti and joins us at the, at, at the urinals. Now, I did actually make a point of um, washing my hands before I shook hands. Well, very good. Yeah, before I shook hands. And then Eddie Mack actually said to us, hey, are you happy, lads? You know, we're all gonna, are you happy, lads? What then, did you say? Well, then he led us out behind the um, service station. He led a load of us out of a, a, a fire exit, and we actually got onto the coach with Ray Wilkins still in his football kit, singing on Mother Kelly's doorstep. <laughs> now that's, I didn't dream that. That's surreal, isn't it? That's surreal. This is why yeah. we need to make this into a yeah, film. I, 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 I know, I know. Yeah, and then we, we then we then got back into the car and followed the coach all the way back to you know to London. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football Fancast. Good segue into the uh, the book launch, which of course is under the bridge on uh, on the twentieth of May. Uh, but there's a big program for that, and I've, I've written a piece uh, because the, the supporters trust to uh, you know bump some money to, towards you know supporting it and all that kind of stuff. And I, I know there's a, a filthy, dirty plug for the trust in there, but I've written a little bit about the event in, in more specific terms. And one of the points that I make, which kind of links in with what the trust is about in a way, is that those were the days when the, the players and the supporters. The difference between them was, was like, a, you know, as thin as a Rizzler. That's right. 
they were us, but they had they were better at football. Yeah. So they got to play, you know, wear the mm. blue shirt. Mm. But the difference between us, not just you know, in, in the, they'd, they'd been supporters. They'd probably been on the terraces a year or two before. Mm. You know, so that they didn't earn that much money. No. You know, there's they a, earned more there, than we a, did, but they, they one, didn't one earn my, that much. One of my favourite interviews that Mark did in the book is with Tommy Langley. Yeah. And Tommy actually said he was born and bred Chelsea yeah. fan. His family were all Chelsea yeah. fans from Basingstoke. And Tommy says that lucky he wasn't a West Ham fan. Well, he was born in Beijing. Yeah. Well, when 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 Tommy when Tommy said when the, when the when the season was over when the season was over when he'd started there as an apprentice he said he didn't know any other way of life so he went into the offices and franked the post and put put letters in envelopes you know he said because he just wanted he wanted to be there you know I mean. How great is that? Just in, in my eyes, that's just fantastic. And I think in many respects, guys, that, that's a great way to close our, our little chat about the football side. But we, we really should talk about the event planned for the 20th. Because, it, I mean, you know, I've, I've written some, some stuff uh, down here. But what, what struck me was that... Uh, I mean, it's got to be the most impressive book launch we've ever had for any of these... You know what I would call kind of supporter-written books. It's astonishing. If I just, for the, for the benefit of the listeners, kind of run through, uh, you know what we've got planned. I mean, Jason Cundy is going to be hosting it, and doing a Q and A, and you. I mean, from what I understand, these are the players that you've got coming along, right? Just uh, confirm or deny at the end. Ray Wilkins, Teddy Maybank, Super Jock Finiston, John Dempsey, Chopper Harris, Tommy Langley, Steve Wicks. David Hay, Gary Stanley, John Sparrow, Ray Lewington, Clive Walker, Kenny Swain. That's just from uh, the Eddie Mack squad. We've also got Kerry Dixon, Tommy Baldwin. If we don't sing his name is Tommy Baldwin, he's the, you know, if we don't sing that, there's something going very wrong. Tommy Baldwin, Colin Pates, Gary Chivers, Bobby Tamblyn. So that is a lineup. And we'd add to that, um, Brian Basson is Brian coming. Brian Basson. Uh, I think Nigel Spackman is coming as Spackers. well. Spackers. Spackers is coming. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Pat, we Pat? Uh, well, we invited we Pat at the Conte dinner a couple of months back. But I think we have to chase that up. But, oh, and Paul Cannibal's coming as well. I was going to say, Canna's normally... I think, I think John Bumpster will be there as well. I think Bobby Tamling has been invited. I think John Hollins has been invited. So okay. if we end up with sort of three years of Chelsea, That's amazing. it will be an amazing evening. But no, no, none from the recent past, interestingly enough. Uh, I, I, why, why is that? I don't, I don't think it's, it's not something we've thought about. I think we're just very much focused on that era. Yeah. I mean, actually, what I do find interesting, and I mean, that, this maybe answers the question, you know, when you've got the likes of Kerry and Colin Pates turning up... Uh, and, I, and I've been very lucky this year to do a podcast with Kerry every week. And what, what comes across massively from players like Kerry is that they, like Eddie Mack's team, also got that affinity with the supporters. In fact, actually, I think the parallels between the Eddie Mack side that, that got relegated and then promoted and John Neal's side that got relegated and promoted are very, very clear. And I think those players feel it in the same way as maybe those 70s guys do is that, is, is, would that be a fair point I, th- I think that would be a very fair point I think those two teams in all my years in Chelsea that group of players 76-7 and 83-4 two very iconic teams but both that closely even to this day between those players and supporters where you know the modern day player 
you know, we're much more detached. You talk about Rizzler paper. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of Rizzler papers now between us and the modern day football. Well, I think that, that, yeah. that you know... With one or two exceptions. The size of this yeah. book, in fact. Yeah, size of book. One or two exceptions, I think, would say... John Terry and a former player, Lamp- Frank Lampard, Frank, yeah. you know, they, they clearly sort of get the role of supporters and have those ties of supporters. But, you know, what we, what we sort of said, it's a separate event. I remember 10 years ago, we went to a quiz at Stamford Bridge and most of those guys were there, you know, ones you've just mentioned. And I think they even said, can you imagine in another 10 or 20 years' time, you know, Marcel Desailly, you know, and the well, like. maybe not him. You know, probably, yeah, not, <laughs> Bad choice, but, uh, No, deliberate choice. Or, uh, okay, yeah. But Mar- Marcel is obviously, I think, the only player, you know, I think when they did the special ones book, you know, I think, did he refuse to do an interview? Probably, yeah. I think he did. So he said, can you imagine sort of like the Marcel Desailly, Didier Deschamps era, sitting here in 10 or 20 years' time doing a quiz with Chelsea fans? No. We think not. But you know what? Mm. And I, I agree broadly with all of that, but um, and I don't know whether I wrote it in the program or, or somewhere else. But I do think that actually, bizarrely, there is something about something special about us as supporters, and something special about Chelsea as a club, where even some of the modern generation of footballers have a weird affinity. That actually, if you quiz them hard enough about it, they would be hard pressed to explain. But I mean, I, I got to know Frank LeBeouf a little bit, and, and, he, and he loves the club. He loves the club. Mickey Ballack is a, a, a prime example. Indeed. Mario Melchior. Yeah. You know, he, I think we get under the skin of even the players that we would expect nothing from. So maybe there is something special about this club. And I'm always minded of that wonderful, 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 wonderful uh, Jimmy Greaves quote about how special this place and this club is you know maybe that's what it is I think good, good point I think um, using example with Tim again I think Tim went up to see Tommy Dockett the other week yeah. Yeah. even after all these years he's managed many clubs what's the club dearest to Tommy Dockett's heart Chelsea. There we go. Yeah. Well, Terry Venables actually says in his autobiography one of the worst moves he ever made was to Spurs. He still felt he was Chelsea. Yeah. He, despite 67, I won't want to go there again. But, you know, he, he, he said he said much the same. He said, you know, he said he still felt like he was a Chelsea man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. What a wonderful, wonderful way to uh, end what has been... I, I mean, I, you know what? In the nine years I've been doing this show... I don't think I've had as much fun doing this interview in the entire nine years. So I'd like to thank uh, both Neil Smith and, and Mark Meehan tremendously for uh, sharing a few beers and a lot of fantastic chat with me. Um, before we, we finally wrap up, when does the book get launched, Mark? Uh, the book gets launched on the 20th of May. If you go on Amazon now, if you are a Kindle fan you can pre-order on Kindle if you're a paperback fan you can pre-order on paperback or go through Mark Morrill's website gate17.co.uk and you can order it through there and uh, how much is it? it is uh, £20 um, if you come along on the night uh, you will get that as free as part of the event hopefully um, the two to 300 people come along on the night will have a collector's edition item because what Mark hopefully has done is he's put the date and the event on the back of the book. So anyone that doesn't come on can still buy the book in the format I've got in front of me, but those lucky people coming on night will have a collector's edition version. It'll be date stamped for that particular evening. Well, there we go. I, I, I need to share this with you, but I actually bought a ticket for the book launch event quicker than I've ever bought a ticket for a Chelsea match. 
that's how much I wanted to go to this event. So I am so looking forward to it. It's going to be a cracking night, but even more to the point, it's going to be a fantastic read. And if half of what you said is in the book, it's going to be a blinding book. So guys, thank you so much. Thank and you. good luck with it all. I hope it sells lots of copies. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you very much. Anytime. Yeah. Cheers. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.